Psalm 15, short psalm, but I think we can get a bit out of there. I'm always a big fan of lists and doing definitions of uh, words and things like that to kind of bring meaning to it, and then after that, see what the Lord does. And this psalm has a great list in it, and um, so let's go there. Psalm 15, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, and who may dwell in your holy hill? Well, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, and he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. And he who swears to his own hurt and does not change, and he, does, uh, he who does not put out his money as usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So, where does the Lord dwell is the title of our study this morning. Because who may dwell in your holy hill, Lord, and who may abide in your tabernacle? Now, the word tabernacle is simply tent, really. Uh, We think about, I don't know, Salt Lake City or something if we don't know any better, but a tabernacle is simply a tent. It was what the Lord had given to uh, Moses in Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and how it was all put together. And it's, the word means the sacred tent of Jehovah. Now, from Moses to David, God had established a meeting place. And for the Israelites, they would see the Shekinah glory descend and on that. And they would know that the Lord was there when Moses would go in and meet with the Lord. And um, they would bring their sacrifice for sin and their offerings. And it had specific measurements and design. If you want to go to Hebrews 9, um, I'm going to let... Paul, I believe, wrote Hebrews, and so if I say that, it's just because I believe it. Um, the uh, Chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Now, when it comes to Hebrews 9 here, please keep your bookmarks there, because we'll be coming back to this one mostly today, uh, 9 and 10. So reading 1 through 5, this is what that uh, tabernacle was like. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances and divine service, in an earthly sanctuary, that tabernacle. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there were a golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot speak in detail. Paul's writing to the Hebrews that. Um, but the mercy seat there, you know, I looked at that and I thought, so often when I'm, my favorite word in the Bible is this word propitiation. You find it in Romans three, twenty-five, And Jesus is our propitiation. Not to get ahead of the, the thing here, but... This is, I found it in the New Testament. I usually say we have to go to the Septuagint and find it in the Old Testament. But that word mercy seat literally is propitiation. And that is, Jesus is our propitiation. But only the Levitical priesthood could enter this holy place. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice and then offer that incense before the Lord. Now in Jerusalem during David's time, all Israel would be bringing their offerings and their sacrifices to the tabernacle, and this worship was continuous. So David's there. He's seeing this going on. Um, But he had built for himself this palace. He was the king. He built a palace for himself. uh, But he's there, and he loves the Lord. His heart's towards the temple and had a a heart for the presence of the Lord. And so he purposed in his heart, you know, I've got this palace. I have to I have to build a temple for the Lord, something that glorifies the Lord. And so uh, he went to, to do that, and the Lord says, No, David, you're a man of war, but I will give it to your, your son, Solomon, to build. But David was able to make preparations. He was able to make deals uh, with the uh, king of uh, Tyre, and all of his dealings that he had, he used those connections to bring all these supplies for Solomon. And also, uh, after, after David had gone to be with the Lord, um, then Solomon was able to begin doing this. 
Now, the word holy hill, back in Psalm 15, is always that which is, you know, the word holy is always that which is set apart for God. And set apart from all else in, uh, you know, any commonplace or anything or really any action or any word that is holy is, is a word that's set apart for God and God alone. And God's holy hill is for us identified in Psalm 2 as Mount Zion. If you remember, um, you know, he would set his anointed on Mount Zion and he would judge and, and reign forth all the nations from Zion in Jerusalem. And that's where the tabernacle stood at that time with David. And so here's the question. Who can abide and who can dwell in such a place? The word abide means it has the aspect of inhabiting, remaining for a time. But the word dwell means to settle in, to set in place, to reside, to live. And David's heart was towards the Lord to know God and worship God and serve God. And as such, you know, he, he would certainly know the kind of guys that were of the same heart, the same mind. They were the kind of guys that wanted to hang out at the same place. And so he's making this list of guys that wanted to be there. They, they, the ones that loved the Lord, that were, uh, had a heart for the things of the Lord. Contrast that with those whose heart it is to take the least amount of time to do their religion, which unfortunately, they always the last to arrive and the first to leave, and they have the minimum obligation and the minimum commitment, and when they're there, they find things to complain about, and then just waiting to get out of there and go do what they wanted to do in the first place. You know, there's a contrast there for those that would be religious and doing obligations, rather those who just love what the, love the Lord, wanted to hang with the Lord. And it's a good contrast. This is why those that know that God is merciful, gracious, and long-suffering, and abounding in love, forgiving iniquities and transgressions, they also, true Christianity, they just want to be where the Lord's doing something. It's not a religion. It's not an obligation. We've been forgiven much, so we love much. So, Endurance and faithfulness that we see in the saints is not some religion, it's not some obligation, it's just faithfulness. It's just love. It's just enduring and doing the things that he's called us to do and not growing weary in it. And so don't mistake that for religion. Don't mistake that for obligations. It's just love. It's just those who've been forgiven much. But we have this great list to look at. And in uh, verse 2 of Psalm 15, um, I like a list, you know, and there's a few here. He who walks uprightly. Well, now, he who walks uprightly means he's complete and whole, entire and sound. Mature, basically, not missing any pieces, not missing any parts, is what that word really means. It's all, it's all going on there. Not that he's achieved everything and, and attained to perfection. That's not what's being said here. He's just mature. He's just walking in what the Lord's given him to do. He keeps the truth or what is right. And that's something that is part of walking uprightly, keeping the truth, doing what's right. Um, next one is works righteousness. Now, the word righteousness there is simply justice. And a judge using the law rightly is a good way to put it, as, as would be normal, as should be normal. You know, righteousness, deliverance and justification where there is some kind of controversy. So if something comes up, this justice, this is going to be a guy who works righteousness. Not something that's going to kind of side one way or the other. If some you know, dis- dispute comes up or disagreement, it's going to be deliverance. It's going to be dealt with, and there will be just justification there. Now, the fellow who speaks truth in his heart. Interesting. You know, he's not talking about the outward here, is he? He's not talking about religion. He's talking about in the heart. He's talking about the inner man, the word is, the, heart, the mind, the soul, the understanding. You know, how often in the New Testament did we read, uh, not deceiving yourselves. Don't let yourselves be deceived. Like, we can actually deceive ourselves. And so there's someone who speaks truth, and he's the first to let you know about it, but then there's those that speak truth in their own heart, and they're not deceiving themselves. So, speaks truth in his heart about any matter, never ignoring the truth, but making sure his heart does go there and take care of it. Verse 3, does not backbite with his tongue. 
The word backbite is kind of interesting. It literally means to go looking on foot. Uh, how does that fit? Well, it means walking along. It means to explore by spying, specifically to bear tales and slander. And you're out looking for it. You know? So this is someone who's a backbiter. Well, the word tongue there is talker, babbler. And basically, what's interesting about this word is it says to use the tongue as a wedge. Isn't that interesting? To, to, to drive a wedge. Now, Romans 1, verse 20, uh, backbiters are in this list of those who are filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, deceitfulness. It says they're whisperers. There it is. Haters of God, inventors of evil things. In other words, they like to make stuff up to incriminate somebody. Um, just real quick, turn to Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-three, And there's just a real simple truth about when you run into a backbiter. And it's something that is going to happen for those of you who understand that it's not right. And um, verse 25, verse 23 says, The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue, and angry countenance. Well, you don't have to worry about getting angry at somebody who's backbiting. In fact, we're supposed to. I mean, if somebody's backbiting around here, I would hope you say, what are you doing? What's the matter with you? You know, if you're going to keep doing that, we don't need that. That's the kind of thing that he's saying here in, in Proverbs. You know, it has an angry countenance to somebody who knows that backbiting is wrong. And so that's uh, Proverbs 23. That's how we're supposed to, to respond. It's okay to be angry at somebody who's backbiting somebody, bringing these accusations or spying out to see what they can find. It's like, so does no evil to his neighbor in verse 3, Psalm 15. Does no evil to his neighbor. To be unpleasant, giving pain, unhappiness and misery, hurtful, vicious, and un- unethical. So what you're bringing to your neighbor, that evil, is defined as you're giving them pain. It kind of fits with the last one, right? Doesn't backbiting kind of bring pain? Don't you know that the person that you're talking to is going to think differently about that person you're gossiping about? You're bringing pain. You're bringing unhappiness. You're bringing misery to both of them. You know, it's hurtful. It's vicious. Does not take up a reproach against his neighbor is the next one on the list. That word reproach is a scorn or to taunt, you know, and it usually has to do with resting on something you've heard, some condition or of shame or disgrace that's been going around. That word simply means a reproach. In other words, somebody's being, you know, harassed about something. People are trying to shame them, and you take it up and join in. That's what that means. Such a one does not take up that um, reproach against his neighbor. You know, they ends up basically trying to shame or guilt with some accusation, and they just take it up. Now, it is a neighbor. It also says a friend, and both are true, because stuff comes up and people go, really? Is that something i got to grab onto and start, you know, bugging my friend about? You know, think about it through first and just listen to what the Lord has to say. You know, before you bring any accusation, there should be two or three witnesses. You know, before you do anything like that, that's what the Word says. Now, in verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. So, in, in a person whose eyes, in their mind or in their spirit, they disdain that person who is utterly vile. This is a character of somebody who dwells uh, in God's holy hill. Now, before you think, well, gee, that's so ungracious because we were all vile, weren't we? Well, the word there... Vile means that uh, you know they have a actions and words that are ongoing, that are just base, that are just coarse. Um, let's go to Ephesians five for our part in this. Ephesians five three. Well, I'm going to start the first verse. I think, kind of leading up to it. Ephesians five one through through seven <clears throat> says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let that not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, that's vileness, nor foolish talking, talking about what these guys say, nor coarse jesting. These are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. What does it say to do for us? Therefore, do not be partakers with them, right? And so have nothing to do with them. The vile person, it's not ungracious, but if they're not going to listen at a certain point, then you just have to have nothing to do with them. Does evil, uh, does no evil to his neighbor. Wait, that's back up there. Where am I? Honors those who fear the Lord, which is really a contrast, verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, well, then the opposite would be what? Someone who honors those who fear the Lord. The word honor is interesting as well. It simply means make heavy. So you're making heavy a person who fears and reverences the Lord. And the word fear there is, is afraid, with a reverence, being afraid with respect. God is an awesome God. He's a holy God. And so that fear, um, when you know people like that, here we are in our fellowship of believers, take seriously, you know, and, and don't take lightly those of us, you know, in this fellowship, your brothers and sisters sharing the pew with you and those that fear the Lord. And uh, it simply says uh, they honor those. Such a person is heavy. Take it up as, as somebody that you, you, you're lifting up as, as a, a um, thing of substance, you know, not something you just take lightly, not people we just take lightly. These are our brothers and sisters. And so um, swears to his own hurt um, and does not change. So this is one who takes an oath, even with injury, but doesn't try to alter it and then remove it. Now Jesus said, you know, it's better not to swear by anything at all, right? These guys were bringing all these big uh, religious things on the people saying, you know, you swore by the altar? Well, we're going to swear by the temple. And Jesus is saying, you know, rather than, than all of that, what's, what's more important? But Jesus said, don't swear at all. Rather, let your yes be yes and your no be no, because the rest comes to evil. But Proverbs 6, if you want to flip there, has some wisdom for us, because there are times in our life when we do take an oath. And I'm not talking about the oath or the commitment of, of marriage. That's one thing. That's the, mo- that's the oath I think we're all probably thinking first that comes to mind, you know, uh, being, getting married. But um, we're talking about somebody who would maybe uh, join up for a friend. So in, in uh, Proverbs 6, yesterday we were going through at men's prayer meeting and this popped out and I thought, well, I've got to bring that to bear on this because it makes perfect sense. Um, my son, if you have become a surety for your friend, and if you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, well, you are snared by the words of your mouth, you are taken by the words of your mouth. And so do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend, so go and humble yourself, plead with your friend, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids, deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter." and like the bird from the hand of the fowler. So he's not saying back out of a deal that's done. Maybe this is before it kicks into place. Because obviously, you know, if you make a promise, you've got to keep your word. He's not saying don't keep your word. But if it hasn't kicked in, and your friend is still hasn't quite you know, laid it down with this, this stranger, well then maybe get over there and, and uh, plead with them, saying this might not have been such a good idea. There's nothing wrong with that. That's wisdoms from... From the book of Proverbs. So back in verse 5, um, Psalm 15, part of this list is, this one's pretty self-explanatory. This person lends without interest. That's simple enough. If you're going to lend somebody something, don't be gouging them for it. You know. In fact, Jesus said, lend as if you don't expect to re- get anything back, didn't he? And so the next one, do not take a bribe against the innocent. Now, a lot of times something happens where people get hurt and there's all kinds of other people involved that profited from that. And uh, you find yourself in that situation and you find out that somebody was damaged by what was done. Don't take it. Don't accept it. 
take any benefit, gain, gift, or reward as a part of any claim against any innocent person. So many times you don't even know how it all turns out. Well, maybe find out. But that's what he's saying, that type of guy. So in verse 6, we have the conclusion. And that is, doers of these will never be moved. Now, that word moved, we all kind of know, but it means they're not going to totter. They're not going to be shaken. They're not going to drop. They're not going to be overthrown. And David knows these guys. David has a heart for these things. He desires these things. I think we desire these things in our own lives, in our own heart. And we know people sitting here. We know our brothers and our sisters that have this character. And we know that this is something that uh, David just is calling people to worship. If you're not, you don't feel like you're doing all these things or this is new to you, then consider it a call to walking that way before the Lord. So, but nevertheless, this is what was going on around the tabernacle where these guys were abiding. This is what was going on on God's holy hill where, where they were, uh, you know, hanging out. But then there was still this offering and sacrifice was going on for their sins. And they were praying and offering incense before God. And these guys that David was talking about, David himself, it wasn't for religion or obligation like we talked, but because, because God was there. God was in it. God put his name there. God promised that when he brought them into the land, he would dwell among them to be their God. And so, but there was still a need for sacrifice and offering because of sin. And the list above really is that heart and that life of those who just hang out doing these things. Now, Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, um, because you know people turned it into an obligation. They turned it into a religion. These Pharisees who would tithe mint, I mean, a tenth of a piece. You know what mint is? It's this little tiny leaf. And they're going to tear off a little tenth of that leaf to tithe it. So they were straining at gnats is what Jesus said. And... Um, and you can check it out in, in, uh, throughout the Gospels, but Matthew 23 and 4. And, um, so Jesus would say to these guys, they kept every small detail of the law, but they left out the weightier matters, he said. He said they, they left out justice. Isn't that part of the list that we just read? They left out mercy. They left out faith. And that fits with his list. So where does God dwell? Israel had not been faithful to God, and, and, uh, but God had been faithful to his word. In Joel 3, he declares that uh, Judah will dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. God's going to be faithful to Israel. Back in Genesis 49, what did God say about Judah when, when uh, Isaac or, uh, Jacob was blessing all of his kids? And uh, each one had a blessing. What did he say of Judah? He said, the scepter shall never depart from Judah. Well, that's interesting. So there would always be a king reigning in Judah, in Jerusalem. And it says, until Shiloh comes, Shiloh being the Messiah, Shiloh being the one they're waiting for, is what that means, the awaited one. And God promised David that his throne would be established forever. forever. So where does God dwell? If you were to look at Isaiah 66, it's just two verses, but it's good for you to see it. This is what was going on at, at uh, the tabernacle, and this is what was going on at God's holy hill. But in Isaiah 66, he says, Thus says the Lord, <clears throat> Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Well, where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made. All those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, of him who is of poor and a contrite spirit. You know, where does God dwell is what we're going to get to with the temple, with heaven, with the heaven above the heavens. But where is God looking? What's he looking to? And uh, you can take this one and take it to heart. He's always looking towards the one that has a broken and contrite heart. He will not forsake. And so Stephen cited this when he was preaching to the, to the Jews that had taken him out. And uh, it drove the religious because this, they don't like that. The religious want to exploit the poor. The religious want to use people's guilt and shame in order to profit from it. Um, 
and, the, and they want to make him feel obligated. And so the religious did what to Stephen when he said this? They gnashed their teeth, they drove him out, and they stoned him to death. Paul, Paul also, when he was on Mars Hill, was talking to the Greeks, and they've got all these gods. And they, you know, the Greeks are just, let's see which one works the best today. You know, it's like a statue for this one day and a statue for that the next day. And for this particular situation or that particular situation. And then there's this little marking that says unknown God. Well, you know, if you've got that, let's take that and use it and make an application out of it. Let's see if we can't, uh, you know, tell them who this unknown God, even though they didn't know what it meant. But he, he says, well, you know, this is the God that dwells above the heavens. He made all these things. There is no house. There's no statue of him. Uh, he, he dwells above the heavens. And when they, uh, they heard that, well, they got to thinking. And they had to come back and chew on that a little bit more. Well, there's another hill just outside of Jerusalem. This was also a hill where sacrifice was made for sinners. Hmm? <laughs> Uh, this, there was no tabernacle on this hill, but the high priest was there. Hebrews 9, if you want to go back there. So, Hebrews 9, now we're going to look at uh, verses 11 through 15. There was a high priest there. It says, Jesus, or but Christ, came as a high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, right? That is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, you saw that once. That's one of those words you want to underline. Go ahead, you know, underline that word once for all. Having obtained that once for all, eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, well, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit of spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called many, or those who are called may, receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. There's, there's a lot here in those two verses. First thing I want to do is, you, you all know my name, Tim, right? I can't put that name in there. You all know my wife, right? And not Mare, that's her nickname, but Mary. Let's put her name in there once. How much more shall the blood of Mary, who through the eternal spirit offered, Mary offered herself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, Mary is the mediator of the new covenant, by which death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. I'm not talking about my wife, am I? Right? You know what I'm saying? There are those who put Mary there. Right? So, all that to say this, you know, where is this? If this tabernacle was made without hands, where is it? Hebrews 9, again, skipping down to 23. Just, uh, you know, uh, 16 through 22 is speaking of the, the death that was necessary but I'm talking about the temple, the tabernacle, and where it's located. Therefore, it was necessary in 23 that the copies of these things in the heavens should be purified with these. So that copy, David was talking about a tabernacle. He was talking about a copy of the thing that really is in heaven. Should be purified with these, and that would be the, the goats and the bulls and all. But the heavenly things themselves, where we're going to end up, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear to the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often. And there's another one. How often? How many times? 
as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of, a, of another, well, he then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world and to this day if, if my sins are involved. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to, uh, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin. Okay, here we are. Who gets to dwell in that holy hill? Well, you know, he died on that hill. His sacrifice was made on that hill. And it's appointed for us to die once. And after that, the judgment. That's what's appointed for us. But he did that in our place on that hill one time. You know, how, how many of my sins were, were since that happened? I mean, it's, it's being, uh, I don't know, I'm 30 plus years old. You know, hey, I didn't say how many 30 plus was. It could be plus a bunch. You know. So, does, you know, did Jesus have to stay up on that cross? I mean, should he be on that cross right now? Well, no. He's, 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 you know, he's with the Father in heaven. We're going to read that um, in, a, in a little minute. But uh, people want to continue to crucify him over and over again. People want to continue to take a sacrament saying, this is the body. This is the blood. Physically, actually. And if it ain't now after I bless it, well, it will be as soon as you get it in your mouth. Well, that's not what he's saying because what's the context? Remembrance. Do these things in remembrance of this, what we just read. It's not a religion. It's not an obligation. It does not save you. This saves you. Do it in remembrance of that lamb and of his body. So, um, Hebrews 10 now. Um, you know, we'll see that. And I guess this is a perfect chapter for everything we're trying to talk about, so I, I really want to read the whole thing. Originally, I thought 11 through uh, 25, but, you know, it's better for me to just read what Paul was making plain to the, to the hearers than for me to try and put it in my own words, because it really is plain, if you don't mind, bear with for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things that can uh, never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year will make those who approach perfect. Okay, So then when they would have ceased to be offered for the worshipers or I should say for when for then would they not have ceased to be offered I'm making it confusing aren't I? Um, for the worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins every year. They had to keep coming back. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Now, the sacrifice and offering, Jesus, about himself, you did not desire these other ones, but my body, but a body you have prepared for me, a burnt in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. But then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, and I just want to stop there. When you're reading something you don't understand, put Jesus right in the middle of it. See how that fits. See how his nature and character and what he did fits with that. And if that doesn't bring light, well, maybe it's something to leave alone for now until something else comes up that brings light to it. But truth is, it's going to be in the Word. But in the volume of the book it is written of me, and what does he say? To do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings, for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. God gave them the law, but it wasn't what satisfied. And then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. So he takes away the first, that he may establish the second, by that which we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Again, once for all. And by that, we are sanctified. Not the bulls, not the goats, not the sprinklings, not the, the incense. They're a picture, and they were an image of what really is going on in heaven. But we read, Jesus did this in the temple in heaven, and we'll get to that. 
Every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, that's Psalm 2, and for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, this is good to understand. So by one offering, one time, he perfected forever those who are being, in other words, ongoing. The offering, one time. The offering's not ongoing. It was done. It's a done deal. The sanctifying is the being sanctified in verse 14. It's such an important thing to see so that we realize that he perfected forever those. Well, that's us. Are you perfect forever right now? Well, I'm sure you guys are fine, but I know that I'm not there. So what am I right now? I am being sanctified. It's an ongoing thing, and that's what he's saying. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. No more, you know, scrolls. Now he's put it in our hearts and minds. And then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Praise the Lord, right? Now where there is remission of these sins, there's no longer an offering for sin, right? You don't do it over and over again. It's a done deal. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, and this is our part. It's not our part, it's our privilege. We have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You understand that? You know what? That would have blew David's mind. You don't go in there. They tied ropes to the high priest in case he wasn't pure for any reason to drag him out if they had to. Right? And so, because uh, you don't stand before a holy God. You know, we talked about the mercy seat. And we talked about propitiation. Well, the Shekinah glory of a holy God was above that ark. The mercy seat sat on top of that ark. Mercy. In that ark was the law. If that mercy seat wasn't there and it was just God and his law and me, vapor, right? Is anybody else different? Well, that mercy seat we need, that's Jesus, that's for us. The law now is through mercy for us. And it's not a holy God looking at a holy law, condemning sinners. There's mercy for us. I'm getting off track. Therefore, brethren, we have that boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We're holy. By him we can do it. And by a new and living way, he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, there it is, the temple, the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil and evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, I remember when I got baptized, um, and it was, uh, I'm the type of guy who is very guilty all the time, you know, if you hadn't realized it yet. I, I know I did it wrong. Whatever you're going through, it's my fault, no matter what. <laughs> you know, it's something like that. That's just kind of the, the temperament. I don't know why, but uh, after I was baptized, the Lord saw fit to just give me a period of grace of, of no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't find out, I couldn't get down on myself, to put it simply. And it's true. We have this confidence now. We have this full assurance of faith. A conscience uh, being sprinkled, an evil conscience now been sprinkled. My conscience convicts me. It's, I am evil, and my conscience convicts me. But now we have assurance of faith because it's been sprinkled. That conscience has been sprinkled with, uh, you know, and it, our bodies now have been washed with pure water. You know, so we're clean in him. We're clean. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Okay, who's faithful? He is. Are we faithful all the time, 100%? No, but he is. And his word's always faithful. What do we do? We get back up. You know, he gets us up. He picks us up. We look to him. And just like that little, you know, toddler that fell down, they're looking up crying, but they're sitting there. Well, the Lord picks us up, dusts us off, changes what needs to be changed and so forth. But the picture is there for us. Let us consider one another now in order to stir up love 
and good works. And that's just what David's doing, isn't he? Look, guys, here's what a guy is like that, that wants to hang out in the temple of the Lord, who can dwell in the holy hill. You know, stir him up and bring these things so that they can be stirred up for good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And we do see that day approaching. So, verse 14, you know, we're being sanctified. It's ongoing. But we are perfect in him. So then, who abides in the tabernacle and who gets to dwell? Who may dwell on the holy hill? Well, we do, right? If we enter by the blood of Jesus. But where? In Ephesians 2, looking for a physical location. Well, we're here now, physically. But there is a physical location where we also are right now. And it's so hard to keep in mind because all we see here and feel and is what we're looking at around us right now. But uh, there's another place where we are, and by faith. So Ephesians uh, 2, 4 through 6 says, I'm going to go back to one again. Um, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were enemies. But God, God who is rich in mercy, And boy, we sure got to know it. Because of his great love with which he loved us. And how did he express that love? He came and he died on that cross. So even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. Don't forget it. You can always look to the Lord because it's his grace. It's his faithfulness. No matter what situation you find you're in, no matter how far you feel you've sailed off course, the minute you set sail for the place you're supposed to be, you're right back where you're supposed to be. You know, you're, you're setting sail from wherever it was, but it's the right course. And so, um, and he raised us up together. And look at this. He made us sit, present tense, together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, we do, if we enter by the blood, and if we are in Christ Jesus. But there's more. First Peter 2. We're talking about a temple. We're talking about a tabernacle. We're talking about a holy hill. First Peter chapter 2 and 1 through 10. More encouragement how to be. But there's also some truth here. Uh, therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, As newborn babes desire the uh, pure milk of the word, that's good wisdom, always, that you may grow thereby. And even if you're not newborn babes, you know, desire that word. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So there's an if there. Well, you know, we've been saved by grace. And we need to, you know, if you don't understand what grace is, and you you don't know how to show it, um, God was so gracious to us because we were sinners, right? And so why wouldn't we be gracious to others? What is it that he didn't forgive us of? In fact, he says those that judged in, in Romans chapter 2, Dwight went through this a few weeks back, you know, if you're judging somebody else, well, just because you're judging automatically makes you guilty of the same things you're judging them of. You might think you weren't because you're sitting there looking at them. Well, just like that, you are. Because we've sinned, we fall short. All, in all ways, there's not a thing if we're left to ourselves we're not going to go do, you know, if we're left to ourselves. He's been so gracious to us. So be gracious to one another. Um, in verse 4, coming to, him as a, as living, coming to him as a living stone. Okay, what's a stone? Well, that's part of a building, right? Rejected indeed by men, but, but chose by God, chosen by God and precious. Jesus, that chief Uh, cornerstone. You also are living stones being built up in a spiritual house. So where are we? All right. A holy priesthood. Who are we? You know, to offer up spiritual sacrifices in acceptance to God, but it's through Jesus Christ. 
It's not on our own. We don't stand alone. He's the chief cornerstone. We're also being built up. We're part of that house. We're part, we are part of the house of God. You know, you've heard this a million times. This building is not a church. You are the church. This is just a, you know, it's got air conditioners. It's got lights and dirty carpets. And it's just got all kinds of problems because it's just a building. Well, we are the church. We are the house. Here it says, we're the, the stones also being built up. Living stones. We're alive. What a glorious thing. Um, architects can't do that. But the Lord can do that. And he is the architect of our lives. But we're also a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And they're acceptable because they're through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, well, he's the stone the builders rejected, right? They crucified him. Well, he has become the chief cornerstone. And not only that, it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those that want to be religious, to those that want to be doing obligations. Well, why? Because we're living stones in a a living, uh, holy hill, a temple that's made where God dwells. It's not cold religion. It's not works of our own flesh. In fact, when they built the temple, no stone was chiseled on that. There was not to be the sound of chiseling when they, they, brought, they did all the work elsewhere and brought it to the temple. Why? Because you know, if God's going to dwell there, it's not going to have anything to do with the works of men that built his house. It's not going to have anything to do with our works. It's going to have to do with our being alive in Jesus is what it says. And so... But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Man, put this on your, on your inside of your eyelids, like uh, KP used to say. You know, um, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy in the Lord. There is another list to consider in Philippians 4. David desired those that, uh, that were going to be dwelling in the tabernacle and, and uh, dwelling in the holy hill. In uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, there's another little list. And I don't need to go into all the definitions. I think it speaks for itself. But what's important is what kind of starts it off in light of all these things, believing all these things that we're talking about, believing where it is that we are seated right now in him. Well, then, you know, verse 6, why be anxious? It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, you can make a list if you want of all those things that you worry about, all those things that you, you know, are anxious about. And we do. I'm not, this isn't condemnation. Because we do. The cares of this life are there. And we just cannot let it choke out the seed, the word of God. And he says, you know, take that list, whatever it is, erase everything, because it says nothing. The list of things that you have to be anxious about is zero. Amen? And so, be anxious for nothing, but pray. You know, pray. Give it to the Lord. It's hard. You know, there's, we have dependencies, things that we depend upon, and yet we have to give God glory for anything that's in our lives that's good. So we're depending on him, really, aren't we? And so, bring these things to him in prayer and, and just make our requests known to God. And look what it says, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding and guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What did David say? The guy that does these things will never be moved, never going to totter, never going to slip, never going to fall. It's, it's not something that's going to break. Well, because it's peace. It's the peace of God. And it surpasses our understanding. And um, it's going to guard our hearts, and it's going to guard our minds through Christ Jesus. But then there's this list what is it we can do? You know, we do still have active minds. We can't just go numb, right? I mean, it's funny. The 
the things people do to try and fill their minds, but what are we going to do knowing that we are this holy house where the Lord dwells in us? He says, brethren, whatever things are true, what do you know that's true right here? And the testimonies of people that you know that the Lord has done something in them that they can't take the glory for themselves. You know, thinking about the things that only God can do in your life that you couldn't do for yourself. You think you maybe quit doing what you were doing, but truth is, you, hadn't, you don't have a chance without him helping you. You prayed, you lifted up, you know. Whatever things are just, and we talked about just, that things, those things are right, those things that bring justice and, and make good decisions about. Think on those things. Whatever things are pure, you know, it's funny thinking about just. We look around in the news, we look around at our country, we look around at the world right now, all we see is injustice, and that's all anybody wants to talk about. Oh, look at what happened here, you know, and look how crazy it's getting these days. And there are times we need to realize that that reminds us that we are going home, you know, and certainly we are not to be, um, but, you know, we're, and, we, and we mourn, we grieve over the, the loss of our freedom in this country and over the, the loss of life from things that are being forced on us. And so we do grieve over that. There's nothing wrong with grieving about that. But if you're thinking about it, you know, think about what is just. God's going to judge. God's going to bring justice. And he's going to bring mercy for those that will call on him. And um, so bring that, bring that message, bring that gospel to those that you might think are too smug and too uh, self-righteous to, to ask God's mercy, ask God's help. Tell him, you know, he loves you anyway. He's going to have mercy if you come, if you call on him. And so, you know, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, I miss that one. Things of nobility, things that are put in place by God that stand. That's what's noble. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, that word that, uh, you know, where do we look that things are not pure except at him and the things he's doing in our lives that we can't do ourselves. Whatever, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. So there goes the TV. If there is anything, if there is any virtue, if, and I'm not being self-righteous, we still watch Gilligan and all kinds of stuff, but you know. Um, so, but whatever things are, are praiseworthy, think on those things. Meditate on those things. So consider those things is what he's talking about. Let your mind dwell there for a while. You know, I do a lot of driving on the highway in my job, my other job. And in that driving, you know, I can sometimes spend three hours. And, you know, after a while, music gets kind of tired and the Bible studies, you can only take so much into your mind. But then you start to just see what the Lord brings to mind and whatever is pleasant, whatever is lovely, whatever is, is of a good report. And then whatever is praiseworthy, you know, things for which God gets the glory. Think about those things. Praise the Lord. Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. And he goes on to talk to the Philippians about how he was a, an example to them. But So the peace of God will keep your hearts not tottering, not shaken. And this is such a blessing for us when we read Psalm 15. Because who is made to abide in the tabernacle? Who may dwell in the holy hill? except those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Blameless and holy before a holy God. But there's more. Revelation 11. Who can dwell in the tabernacle? Well, I tell you what. Jesus now sits in that tabernacle. We're the living stones, a holy priesthood in that tabernacle. And when you get to the end of the... Uh, the trumpet judgments, you know, the trumpets in the book of Revelation. It's a, just a great study. And the seventh one sounded in verse 15. And uh, there was loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Now the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. You know, it's not some obligation or religion if you're praying to maybe get on your knees before the Lord. It, it is what happens in heaven. 
you know, our physical bodies, you know, you can pray lifting up your eyes, you can pray with your head bowed, you can, you can pray with your head in your hands. There's no big deal, but there's nothing wrong with praying on your knees either. You know, not out of obligation or because God's going to recognize it, but because it happens. And 24 elders who sat before the Lord on the thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The end and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. That time has come. And those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroyed the earth. And so the temple of God was opened. All right, we're seeing that temple now. The ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. You couldn't look at that ark. You couldn't look at that law. More of that same picture of what Jesus has done for us. And his covenant was seen in the temple. And there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and an earthquake and, and great hail. But there's more. If you go to Revelation 21, you're getting a, a vision or a, a, a visual of the temple. In Revelation 21, reading a few here, um, verses 9 through 27. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and the names on them, and the names written on them, were the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them, were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. And the city was laid out as a square, and its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs in length, breadth, and height were equal to that. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of the the man, that is, of an angel. (laughs) Interesting. And the, con- and the construction of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, and the foundation was jasper and the second sas- sa- sapphire, and then the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, and the fifth sardonyx, and the sixth sardis, and the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth chrysophras, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Verse 22, I saw no temple in it. Huh. For the Lord? Hmm. Amen. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun or the, the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God eliminated it. And lamb is his light. And the nation of those who are saved, that's us, shall walk in its light. And the kings of the glory will bring, kings of, uh, shall bring their glory and honor to it and its gates shall not be shut all day and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of all the nations to it But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes anything that defiles an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who gets to dwell in God's holy hill? So, you know, if you don't know whether you are or not, you know, we have a bright and glorious future. Now is the time. You know, admit you're a sinner, deserving of death, if you haven't. Believe that Jesus is Lord, 
And he died for your sins on the place in that cross. We saw it so plainly. And he was buried, though, and he rose again on the third day. Call on his name and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you will be saved. You'll be born again. Now is the time. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy as always. And Lord, we just ask that you would be um, working in the hearts and minds of those, putting your name in their hearts that don't know you, that they might call on you, Lord. And we pray that, uh, as you said, you have chosen the foolishness of preaching to get your word out for people to hear. So we pray that wherever you've given us opportunity to share our testimony, whether we're an evangelist or not, Lord, we do have our story to give. And I pray that you would uh, cause us to be willing And Lord, that we'd be in your word and we'd know how to share your word. You've promised to bring to remembrance all those things that are are in our hearts uh, because we've looked into your word and we've heard your word. So we pray that you'd use us. And we also pray, Lord, you'd keep our eyes on you through these trials, the illnesses and, and whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, the trials, temptations, things that try our faith, try our patience. Lord, uh, you're so long-suffering with us, and we pray that uh, you'd continue to pick us up and dust us off and to set our eyes once again on this place, on this, uh, this house that we're living stones, this new Jerusalem for all eternity, Lord, where we'll walk on streets of gold. You said it. We can't even imagine it, but Lord, you said it. And so we ask that you'd keep our hearts and our minds there and, um, and touch so lightly the things on this earth. So we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.